I had the privilege of visiting uh, Christine Barber the, uh, that you saw on the video that's working in Nottingham, England. I, I visited her about three years ago, I believe. Saw her working there and uh, just want to say um, we all be really proud you know, that she came out of Southwest. She's the real deal, working in a hostile environment. Uh, I don't think about being a missionary in England, basically a country full of atheists. And um, you know, when she talks about having 55 kids you know, coming for a meal, you know, the first time I heard that, I was like, wow. And then she talks about, you know, let's, let's explore the Bible. And big goose egg, right? I, I thought it was fantastic that she shared all of that. But she's doing great things in England, has been faithful, working there for a long time. And we are a part of that. We get to support her. And that's pretty awesome. I always think when you get to heaven, there's going to be so many people that come up to you and say, you know, because of, you know, your ties, your prayers, your support, that VBS you did when you came over uh, to our country, I heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And so it's just exciting to think when we get to heaven, all those stories, just how interwoven our lives are in ways that we don't see, don't understand, don't know, but God is doing great things all over this world. Um, and part of that's getting done because of us and the folks going out of this church, the folks that went to Guatemala this week. Did y'all hear that they survived an earthquake? while they were there. There was an earthquake while they were there. But uh, just, yeah. So it's just exciting to hear all that. <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Craig preached on the story of Naaman and Elisha. And just um, in case you were, weren't here or if you need a refresher, um, Naaman was the commander of the army of Aram. You know, he's a five-star general. He's the chief. He's also a pagan and a Gentile and a leper. He has an Israelite slave girl who tells them that there is a prophet in Israel that can cure you. So he goes to the prophet Elisha, and he's expecting a reception equal to his stature. A big show, a grand ritual, a complex ceremony, and Elisha doesn't even bother to come out of his house. Instead, he sends a servant out with these instructions. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Naaman is unhappy with the reception that he's received, and he's angry and indignant. He feels slighted by Elisha, and now he's being asked to do something that's beneath his station. The Bible said he was enraged. Back home, I got two rivers better than your muddy old Jordan. But his servants calm him down, he follows Elisha's instructions, and he is healed. He says, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Naaman is now a follower of the one true God, and he says, I will worship no other God but the Lord. But then reality smacks him right in the face. He has had this mountaintop experience, but come Monday morning, it's back to reality. It's back to the job, the daily grind. It's hard to be a believer, a follower of God, while living among pagans and heathens. Can I get an amen? Do we have any pagans or heathens in Coweta County? There's a couple, a couple. Naaman says to Elisha, but may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Ryman to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm and I bow there also, when I bow down in the temple of Ryman, 
May the Lord forgive your servant for this. To which Elisha replies, go in peace. Naaman is wrestling with how to live out his new faith in his hostile world. And that's something we can all relate to. I've been thinking about Naaman a lot over the past two weeks. And as we continue this sermon series on changing direction, I want to look at another story from the Old Testament where followers of God wrestle with living out a life of faith in a hostile environment. Was anybody here when I preached on Jonah? Remember I talked about cats, that sailors are cats? I'm going to talk about cats again today. And I don't want y'all to get the opinion, you know, I got 10 cats in the house and 20 in the yard. We don't have any cats, it's just a coincidence. But we used to have cats. We had two cats um, named Shadrach and Meshach. There was never an Abednego. Uh, but Shadrach and Meshach went to Ukraine when we went to Ukraine. We took them with us. Actually, our parents gave us those cats trying to, to tie us down to America. Because, you know, if you've got cats now, you can't go to Ukraine. Uh, but they traveled fairly well. And when we moved to Ukraine, uh, this was 1999, uh, we spent our first year learning Russian in a small town called Melitopol. And so we had our cats with us from America, Shadrach and Meshach, and naturally they had to learn Russian as well. They had to learn a few things. For instance, their names. No longer were they Shadrach and Meshach. They were Sidrach and Misak. And they also had to know when they were being called, when someone was trying to get their attention, right? Y'all want to learn some Russian today? Right now, I'm going to give you the ability to speak to any cat in the former Soviet Union. That if you ever find yourself in that part of the world and you see a cat walking down the street, you can converse with that cat. So how do you call a cat in English? Kitty, 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 right? How do you call a cat in Russian? We're going to watch a video. Kitty, kitty, kitty. Not working. Billy, Billy, Billy. No. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Oh, this cat is Russian. <laughs> I love that video. Oh, this cat is Russian. So in Russian, the way he said it was kiss, kiss, kiss. But we say it really quickly, so you can practice with me. Talk to any cat, and dogs come too, actually. If they're stray dogs, like, what, you got food? We'll answer that call as well. Now let's open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to learn about our bilingual cat's namesakes, Shadrach, Meshach, and their friend Abednego. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. 
They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. Talk about trying to be obedient to God and live a life of faith in a hostile environment. They've been conquered by the Babylonian army, taken back to Babylon as captives to be trained to serve the king. They've been stripped of their identity, culture, language, and faith to be remade as Babylonians. Forget everything you know. We're going to teach you our language, our history, our literature, our culture, our religion, our gods. We're going to feed you food devoted to idols, food that you would consider unclean. We're even going to give you new names, names connected to the gods we worship. How do you stand against that? How do you remain faithful in an impossible situation where you have no control? That was kind of Naaman's question as well. Look, when I go into the temple with my master and he's leaning on my arm, when he bows, I bow. Forgive me. And Elisha says, go in peace. Translation, God understands. God knows your heart. The onslaught that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced was overwhelming, unrelenting, and attacked every fiber of their being and identity as followers of the one true God. Their situation made me think of a medical mission trip Heather and I had taken to the Dominican Republic back in the late 90s. The day before we left, the missionaries took us to a beach, and I don't know if it was always like this, but that day the waves were fierce, and just one after another. It was all we could do just to keep our heads above water as wave after wave after wave pounded and hammered at us. We only lasted a few minutes. We couldn't stand in that water. We were getting tired. We were getting exhausted, and so we got out. But that's what Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego endured for three years, as the Babylonians tried to strip away their entire identity. But in the midst of their new life in Babylon, they are faithful to God, and God is faithful to them. Let's pick it up in verse 17 of chapter 1. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Here we see God blessing them and helping them to navigate this new life in the midst of a hostile environment. But then the other shoe drops. Daniel 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. 
So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kind of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in an impossible situation. What do they do? King Nebuchadnezzar gives them an ultimatum. Fall down and worship or be killed. Their situation is best summed up in the words of Lenny Kravitz. Are you going to go my way? They don't. They don't go Nebuchadnezzar's way. They don't fall down and worship the idol. And not surprisingly, this gets noticed by some of their peers. It's payback time. Remember back in chapter 1, God blessed them. They found favor in the king's eyes. They were 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the kingdom. And now all those magicians and enchanters run to the king to snitch. They come to the king and say, There are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. This is Daniel 3.13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. Amen. Thank you. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Notice what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do and what they don't do. They don't defend themselves, nor do they feel a need to defend themselves or their actions. King Nebuchadnezzar, say what you want about us, threaten us, but that other thing, that last thing you said about God, we do want to address that. What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? That got their attention. Now listen to their statement of faith. The God we serve is able to deliver us from you and your burning furnace, but even if he does not, we want you to know we're not going to bow down to you or your idol. 
Our God is able to rescue us, but even if he doesn't, we're going to serve him. He is able, and even if he doesn't show up right now, we'll trust in him. That is one of the most powerful testimonies in history. Reminds me of a song by Beverly Crawford I heard a few years ago. If the Lord never does anything else for me, he's done enough. He's blessed me once. He's blessed me twice. The Lord keeps on blessing me every day of my life. Oh, if the Lord doesn't do anything else for me, he's done enough. Were y'all scared I was going to start singing? <laughs> Heather was scared. I could, she was just shaking her head. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a history with God. They knew that God was able to rescue them because he had rescued them. When Jerusalem fell to the Babylonian army, they survived. When they were taken as captives to Babylon, God protected them. During their Babylonian education and training, God blessed them over and over again and interceded on their behalf. When they didn't want to defile themselves with the royal food, food that they would have considered unclean, God caused the official to show favor and sympathy to them. God helped them to excel in their training and education. And when they stood before the king for their final exam, they were found to be ten times better than everybody else. What kind of list could you make of God's blessings? They were captives in a foreign, hostile land, but they had seen God bless them over and over again. And now, once again, they find themselves standing before the king. And not only is he threatening them and their lives, but he's also calling out their God, disrespecting their God. Our God is able to save us and rescue us from his hand, but even if he doesn't, we will not serve you or your gods or worship your idols. He's blessed us once. He's blessed us twice. The Lord keeps on blessing us every day of our life. If the Lord doesn't do anything else for us, he's done enough. Now for the rest of the story. Daniel 3.19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace he is seven times hotter than usual, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the burning, blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, your majesty. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. 
And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed. The robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are tied up, bound, and thrown fully clothed into the furnace. And the furnace is so hot that the soldiers who threw them in are consumed by the flames. The king looks in and sees not three but four persons walking around inside the furnace and calls out to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. That's a change of direction, isn't it? From what God will be able to rescue from my hand the servants of the Most High God? That is a full 180. And they emerge, not a single hair on their head is singed, and they don't even smell like smoke. That's a miracle right there, isn't it? You get within 10 feet of a bonfire, and now those clothes are your bonfire clothes, aren't they? But that's the coat you always wear when you go out to the fire because it smells like smoke until you get rid of it. That's a pretty cool miracle. Not a hair on their hair is singed. They don't smell like smoke. What was the only thing that burned in the fire? I'm not talking about the three guards or the guards that threw them in. But what was, yeah, what was the only thing that burned in the fire? The ropes that bound them. That's another cool miracle, isn't it? They were walking around. The only thing that burned was the ropes that bound them. And the story ends with the king praising the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So now it's back to us. What can we learn from the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Y'all tired of me saying those three names over and over again? I like saying it. It gives me good memories of a couple of cats. As I reflect on their story, I think about all the times that they could have felt abandoned by God, wondering why God was allowing this to happen to them. But they kept their faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. How were they able to maintain their faith in such a hostile environment? Guessing there could be lots of answers to that question, but one that I'll throw out there, community. They had each other. That makes things easier, doesn't it? We're supposed to be living out our faith in community. We're supposed to be doing this together. Read Ecclesiastes 4, starting in verse 9. You may have heard this used in a wedding. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. 
But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were stronger together. We are stronger together. You don't have to figure out this faith walk on your own. And actually, you're not supposed to be doing it alone. And the passage from Ecclesiastes, verses 9 through 11, talk about the benefits of two persons working and living together. And then the passage ends with this phrase, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. In the fire, three becomes four. In Ecclesiastes, two becomes three. Bet y'all weren't expecting to be doing math this morning. I need a whiteboard, maybe a protractor. Dennis can come up and help me out with this. Jesus himself said in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. We're supposed to be working out our faith together, bearing one another's burdens, encouraging one another, praying with one another, holding one another accountable, serving one another, forgiving one another, and comforting one another. That's how we live out a life of faith in a hostile environment. But often we do the opposite. Life gets hard, work gets hard, family gets hard. And instead of those things reaffirming in us how important Christian fellowship and community are and pushing us closer to God and to our church family, the body of Christ, instead we retreat, we pull back, we disconnect, we go off the grid, we ghost, we fall back. We step away when we ought to be digging in our heels right here. Listen to these words from the 10th chapter of Hebrews. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. How do you and I live out our faith in a hostile world? Together. We do it together. And right now we're going to go into a time of communion. And together we're going to remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us. Ask Robbie and the praise team to come on up. Lead us in another song. If you didn't pick up a communion packet on your way in, feel free to sneak out and get them. They're on tables just outside. Grab one. We also want to offer the opportunity to you um, to make a decision. If you feel like you need to make a decision in your life, give your life to Jesus. Today's a great day to do that, and we can help you with that. Uh, I love every week Craig says, we're not a perfect church, but we're trying to do this together. We're the body of Christ. And so if um, you want to have a decision and want to join us, We'd love for that to happen as well. And if you don't feel comfortable coming up or if you have a need or a burden or something that's going on in your life, but you don't feel comfortable coming up in front of the church, uh, we have a connection corner, that door over there, all the way in the far corner, and there are people standing by right now that will pray with you, that will listen to you. 
because we want to do this together.